Well, welcome. My name is Susie Smith, Jane Doe, if you forget. Just think Jane Doe. Um, try to get my husband to take my maiden last name. He didn't, wasn't really going for it. So Susie Smith it is. Um, I'm so excited you guys are all here. This has been um, something that's been prayed over. We know that each person that's here in this room has been prayed for, and we know you're here for a reason, and we're so thankful that you guys are here. Um, I want to thank, first of all, Terry and Krista, because they've worked tirelessly to put this together, and there's so many logistics and so many people wanting to be in each other's groups, and uh, they've really tried to honor those requests and um, work with additional people coming in. So we're just thrilled. We're thankful for a full room of people that are going to learn about God's word. And um, so we just welcome you, and we're thankful to Krista and Terry. And um, I'd like all the leaders and assistant leaders to just um, stand real quickly and embarrass you a little. <clears throat> so these are your leaders and um, assistant leaders who have chosen to give up their fall uh, to come and spend time with you because they love the Bible, they love women, they see the value in coming together in fellowship, and um, they're extraordinary women. Um, they're praying for you guys, and I'm so thrilled that they're doing this with me. Um, so thank you guys so much. Um, I'm going to introduce you to my family. Just Sometimes I know when I hear a speaker, it makes me feel a little better if I know a little bit about their background. So um, I want to share that um, this weekend, my husband and I decided to drive our kids like five and a half hours down southwest to Abingdon, Virginia to go on a 34-mile bike ride with our kids. Mind you, it's almost all downhill or flat, so it's super easy. Um, otherwise, there would have been much moaning and groaning, but my kids actually told me it was easy. And um, my six-year-old was able to do most of it. So... Um, Okay, there. There it is. So I'm just going to show you a few pictures from, in hopes that you guys will go do this because it was so stunning and beautiful and I loved it. Um, so these are my oldest three kids riding and I am like pedaling and I have my cell phone in my hand trying to balance it while I'm pedaling and taking pictures. Um, this is my little guy. That was just like a portrait. Just gorgeous. Um, where should I point it? Okay. Am I good? Again, just pretty. And then here's the fam. So we've got hot hubby Jonathan. <laughs> got me with the red face, who's just finished 34 miles. Um, <clears throat> our son, who thought it was hilarious, I didn't realize till after the fact, to stick his arm inside his shirt so that he would, he's 15 years old. And in fact, honestly, he's smiling and like short of him doing something inappropriate or unacceptable in the picture. I can't get him to smile, so I'm pretty happy with that. Um, <laughs> armless and all. Then we've got Hadley to the left of me. Hadley Ruth, actually. Um, she's 13. Milena is in the green shirt. Her name's Milena Susan, and she was named for my mom, who I was also named for. My mom, give a little wave. So supportive, my mama. She's here. And then the little dude um, that looks the most like me is Ezra. <laughs> so he's awesome. He's also sick, so you might see him. He's going to get dropped off here shortly by my husband. So <clears throat> just, one, I mean, they're all gifts from God. He just 
it was something else hand-selected and put in our family. So that is my family. And um, I wanted to share with you because I thought, I was like, how do I weave this story in? And I'm not sure exactly if it goes with the book of Ruth, but I wanted to share it with you nonetheless. Um, so we go and stay in this like 100-year-old, musty, very quaint, adorable cabin. And th- there's like a main road, and we have to go off this little road to stay in this cabin that's just kind of off the beaten path. And so we stay there two nights. One whole day we're biking. And um, the one night after we finish biking, everyone's just zapped, and we decide to watch a movie. So we're watching a movie, and lo and behold, I mean, there's nobody out, out there where we stayed. Lo and behold, like 9.30, getting close to 10, we hear a knock on the door. So I think I was helping Ezra because he wasn't feeling well, and my husband was somewhere else too. So my 15-year-old son answers the door. He comes, and he's like, seems a little frantic, and he's like, hey, Dad, um, this woman just broke down. She needs your help. And so my husband goes out to help her. Well, I realize the medicine that I need for Ezra is in my car, and he's about to drive her. I can't quite figure out what's going on, and I have this like weird feeling, you know what I mean? Like something's not adding up here. And so I just run out to get the medicine for him, and I ask, I'm like, hi, my name's Susie, her name was Shauna, and um, I said, so your car broke down? And she said, no, actually, I was on a date, and the guy drank too much, he was driving me back to my car, and he punched me in the face, and then left me on the side of the road. And I just started walking, and your, your house was the first house with lights on. And so, um, so we just talked to her briefly and just said, you know, I, I hope you're not going to ever call him back, and um, <clears throat> ever. And, and I hope you know that God has a plan for you. And I just kept feeling like God wanted me to pray for her. But you know that, where it's like, okay, you wrestle a little, like, is she going to think I'm weird? And who cares if she thinks I'm weird? And I should just pray for her. And so I said, can I pray for you? And she's like, oh, I'd love that. So I just prayed and asked God to um, protect her and for him to be her portion and her sustenance and that she wouldn't need him, you know, be drawn again to a man that could harm her in any way and that God would eventually, if he saw fit, draw her to a man that could treat her with kindness and love. And um, <clears throat> then off she went with my husband to her car. Um, and on the way, he shared with her, you know, God, I don't think there are any coincidences in this life. And there's a reason that you knocked on our door. And we happen to just be here for two nights. And we believe that God wants to have a relationship with you. And that um, that's part of the reason you knocked on our door so that we could share that with you. And so she's like, I know, and she started crying. And um, so anyway, it was just a neat opportunity, and we were able to give the phone number. She used his phone to try to call somebody, so we gave that phone number to the owner of the home we stayed in, who just so happened to be a Christian as well. And um, it just was, I want to encourage you, because I think a lot of times we go into situations and I did pray about this trip a lot, and there were two places I was looking at for us to stay, and they were an hour apart, and I really wanted to go to the other place, but it was more expensive, and, you know, I was trying to watch the wallet, so we end up going to the place we stayed in, and I feel like 
through prayer and through God directing us to stay in this home that, you know, my goal was for us to have this fun bonding family experience and to go for a 34-mile bike ride. And I think that was accomplished and wonderful. But I think God had a secondary purpose, and that was that this woman would go to a house where the people, you know, wouldn't cause her more harm and could encourage her. So I just want to encourage you guys that I think the Lord has that for all of us and just to be mindful and open and I think we'll discover in Ruth, too, that, you know, she goes back to Bethlehem. You will learn with Naomi thinking one thing, and the Lord does so much more. So um, that's my little story that I would thought, hope encourages you. And I want you guys all, we're going to go to the very front of Ruth now. <clears throat> um, if you guys look at the very front here, You'll see uh, dates, and then it'll say memory verse, one thing I learned, and application. And then it'll tell you, in case you're like, ah, I can't remember which homework I'm supposed to do or what we're going to be studying, it'll tell you, like, September 26th, you're going to be discussing session three homework. So if you have to miss for some reason, which hopefully you won't, but if you do, you'll know what we're going to be studying. So the reason I did this is because I'm in my 40s, and the brain cells are just dying. Like, it's unbelievable. And now I feel like so much more compassion for my mom when I was <clears throat> planning my wedding and she called me 17 times a day and I'm like, what is going on? Just call me once with everything. Um, but now I get it. Like, once you think of something, you have to do it right then or it doesn't happen, right? So I get it, mom, I'm so sorry. Um, so this is my goal. So I love the Bible. I love studying it. And I love encouraging people. And so my goal is not for you to leave in eight weeks and be like, oh, that was really neat. I enjoyed it, which I hope you do. But my goal is for you to really learn the truth about Ruth that you could, three years from now, you guys could be able to say, this is what the story of Ruth is about. And not just what the story is about, but this is what I took away from it, and this is what I applied to my life. So this is my effort to help us do that. So everywhere, every week, excuse me, I'm going to give you a memory verse, <clears throat> and you can choose to memorize it or not. Um, I hope you will. So we'll have one memory verse a week, and then at the end of each session, not this, like the end of your Bible study, so at like 1130 or even after you leave Bible study, I want you to just write one thing you've learned. It could be anything. It could be like an academic kind of thing you learned, or it could be something you learned like dear to your heart. And I want you to share it with one person on Tuesday. So anybody, could be your husband, could be your kids, your coworkers, your neighbors, your mom, I don't care. But you know as well as I do, when you have to tell somebody something or teach something, you learn it so much better. So I just want you to pick one thing you learned and share it with one person or around the kitchen table at dinner if you want. And then we're going to do one application a week. That means, like, I think reading the Bible is wonderful, but if we read the Bible five hours a day and we just know the Bible but we never apply it, it's, it's wonderful wisdom, but we really need to apply what we learn in order to really um, understand and live out what God has for us. So we're going to figure out a way to based on what we learn, make an application each week, okay? So that's what we're going to do each week. Um, now, 
raise your hand if you have kids in school or have had kids in school or if you've ever been to school. <laughs> okay, so I love school and um, I'd love to go back one day. But um, so today is going to be a little different from the following weeks. It's going to feel a little bit like school, which is going to be awesome because I think sometimes I'm a stay-at-home mom and I think sometimes... I need my mind to be sharpened a little. And so I'm hoping that you guys will just go with me. We're going to go all over the place, learn the background of Ruth. If you want to take notes, great. Find a place in Ruth to do it. If you don't want to take notes, you just want to listen, that's great too. But we're going to learn a lot of background, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And I might even ask some questions to make sure you're awake. So um, is, it, is this working? Okay. Do you have to do it? I think so. Okay. All right. So let's start. Here's a few fun facts. First, um, Ruth is the first of two books in the Bible named after women. So just two books in the Bible named after women. One is Ruth. The second is Esther. Um, The author is unknown. However, many people think, do I just like point and pretend like I'm doing it, and then you do it. Is that how this works? Okay. Okay, cool. Um, so I'll just point at you, and then, okay. So um, some suggest that it might be Samuel or Nathan, but the author is really unknown. Um, okay, I'm going to explain to you the time of Judges, because it's very fascinating. So um, Caleb and Joshua and ten spies We're looking for the promised land. They finally discovered it. Everybody, all the Israelites, enter the promised land with Joshua and Caleb, and then they all die. And when Joshua dies, we learn that um, no strong central government remained. So there were like 12 independent tribes, if you will. And um, God himself desired to be the leader of the Israelites. But it tells us, and it's a really, um, really sad thing, and it's an admonition to each of us. It says that after Joshua died, even though the Israelites had seen God show up in amazing ways, he had parted the Red Sea, he had provided for them time and time again, he had led them. After Joshua died, it said that the next generation neither knew God nor what he had done for the Israelites. So the next generation neither knew God nor knew what he had done for the Israelites. And so my admonition to all of us is let that not be true for our generation, right? Let us be people that learn the word of God and tell our kids about it and our grandkids and our neighbors and our friends and our family because we don't want the same to be said of us. Um, So the Israelites, once Joshua's gone, they don't know who God is really or what he's done they start to follow evil practices, and they end up um, getting deep into idolatry idolatry and infighting. And um, so God, in his compassion and mercy, because we serve a compassionate and merciful God, he provides judges. Now, judges are um, not what you would think of, right? So we think of like a black cape and like a gavel and a courtroom, and that's not what they were. They were military leaders or rulers. That's what what they were. So whenever the Israelites had a judge, the favor of God was upon them. And then when that judge would die, the Israelites would go back to their evil ways. 
I think I'm a little like that and probably a lot of us, right? Like we cling to God when things are hard and then when things get easier, you kind of rely on yourself or go back to whatever. And this is what the Israelites did. They went back to their evil ways and their evil practices and oftentimes even worse than before. So he'd provide another judge in compassion. So the reason I share this with you is because Ruth takes place at the end of Judges. When does Ruth take place? Nice. Okay. So we're going to move on and talk about, um, this just feels so corny. Like, <laughs> it's not working. Um, so the setting of our story is um, in two places. So we start in Moab briefly, and then the bulk of our story takes place in Bethlehem. Um, now Moab means desirable land or land of his father. Um, I think it's interesting, too, I was reading something that said that some people describe Moab as the land just short of the promised land. And the reason I share that with you is because Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons move from Bethlehem to Moab, even though Bethlehem is the chosen land and it's the promised land. They choose to move to something that is just short of God's promised land for them. And so um, I want to just challenge you guys. Is there a chance that any of you today need to hear that sometimes God has, some, has his best for you or something that he really desires for you and you're settling for far less? Is there something that you're, you need to persevere in or you need to um, just hold fast to God and abide in him and not settle for something because he wants the best for you and you're settling for far less? So... Just consider that. Um, Bethlehem means house of bread. That's really cool. I remember Pastor Gary sharing with us, um, if you think about it, most of us know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And um, in the Bible, it tells us that Jesus is the bread of life. And so it's really cool to think that the place where he was born is known as the house of bread, and he is the bread of life. Um, I'm going to show you. I hope there's a, yeah, there it is. Okay, so you see that kingdom of Moab is in purple, and you've got the kingdom of Judah. So if you look at, can you find Jerusalem where it says kingdom of Judah? It's kind of hard to find. But um, where they were in Bethlehem and where they went to Moab is a 30 to 60 mile venture, depending on which route they took. Most likely, likely they went north and then crossed um, above the Dead Sea. So that's the Dead Sea in between them. So um, 30 to 60 miles, and it took them 7 to 10 days on foot to travel there. Okay, And where they were in Moab is a mountainous region, so it would be kind of difficult to get there. Um, we are now going to move on, and I want to do something that I think is super fun, is studying the genealogy of Jesus. And the reason why is because um, in Matthew 1, we read the genealogy of Jesus. And I know for me, and maybe for some of you, you read the genealogy and you're like, and this person was of this person, and this, you know, it gets kind of old. But there are only five women listed in his genealogy. Certainly there were more than five women, but for whatever reason, five women are listed. And I wanted us to look at those five women because one of them is Ruth. Um, but the other ones are very fascinating too. So let's go ahead and look at the... Well, first, before, oh, sorry, 
Okay, so we know Tamar is one of them. Anybody else? Throw it out if you know the four other women in the genealogy. Rahab, Bathsheba, Ruth, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Okay, so let's see their names. We've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. So we're going to look at Tamar first. Um, Tamar was a Canaanite, okay? So she's not an Israelite. She's a Canaanite. She um, ends up marrying Judah's son. He then dies. So their custom was then the next brother would marry um, the woman if the other brother had died. So the second son marries, and he dies. So sure enough, Judah's thinking, I got a third son, not a chance I'm letting this woman marry him, right? I mean, my two other sons have died. Not a big fan of that happening again. So Judah does not uphold his promise. He was supposed to give his third son to her. He chooses not to. So Tamar decides to take matters into her own hands, and she decides to dress up as a prostitute and wait for Judah on the side of the road and seduce him to keep the family line alive. Number one, why Judah is getting together with a prostitute, we're not sure. And why she's taking it into her own hands, we're not sure. Um, but she chooses to do that and ends up giving birth to two sons, one of whom is named Perez, and he is an ancestor of Jesus. Okay, so we've got Tamar um, as our first of five women listed in the genealogy. The next woman that's mentioned is Rahab. Rahab is a Gentile. Rahab um, lived in the city of Jericho. She was a prostitute. And when the spies come, there were two spies that came to check out the land. She decided to hide them and protect them. And in return, she said, will you please um, provide me protection when you come and destroy our city? And you guys probably have heard as a child or maybe more recently, you know, the story of the walls of Jericho came tumbling down and they walked around the walls and played their trumpets. And so that's the story. Right before that story happens, these spies come. And so they promise to protect her, and she puts a scarlet thread outside of her window so that they know where she is and provide her protection. Well, interestingly enough, um, before I tell you that, I read the coolest quote uh, by Angie Smith. She said, Rahab needed to be rescued, and the spies knew the rescuer. Okay, so they help point her to who the ultimate rescuer is, who is God. So, um, interestingly, Rahab marries a guy named, I think it's Salmon. It sure looks like Salmon. Um, <laughs> and they conceive a little dude named Boaz. Okay, so they have Boaz. Boaz is our central figure in our book of Ruth. So, he's key to the whole book. And um, so, that's how Rahab fits into the story. Um, and the next one is Ruth. So, that's our lady that we'll be studying over the next seven weeks. She's a Moabite. Um, interestingly, and you guys, some of you may know, but Moab, the way that it got its origin is that Lot, who is the nephew of Abraham, so Lot decides to flee to the mountains with his two daughters out of fear. They flee there. And again, if people don't think the Bible's interesting, you got to like read it more and get into it because I mean, the stuff I've told you so far, and even this right now, his daughters think it'd be a great idea to get their dad drunk and have relations with him 
so they can keep the family line going. So they, each of his daughters gives birth to a child. His oldest daughter gives birth to a boy named Moab. Okay, so he's the father of the um, Moabites. And this is where Ruth comes from. So she um, is a woman of virtue, noble character. She's faithful and loyal. And she ends up ultimately being the wife of Malon and Boaz. She's also the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And she ends up being the mother of Obed, the grandmother of Jesse, and the great-grandmother of King David. Which King David enters in the next woman. Okay, now interestingly, if you look at Matthew 1 and you look at the genealogy of Jesus, you see the names Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Mary. But you do not see the name Bathsheba. Instead, you see Uriah's wife, which is really fascinating. So you've got Uriah's wife, who happens to be Bathsheba, and while he's away at war, and his king David should be at war with him, he instead decides to have an affair with Bathsheba, and um, they end up having a son who dies soon thereafter, and then secondarily, they have another son, and uh, his name is Solomon. Many of you may know Solomon is the one God said, I'll give you absolutely anything. What do you want? And Solomon asks for wisdom. And so he's known as the most wise man in the Bible. And lastly, we have Mary. So Mary, most of you know, the mother of Jesus, Jewish, godly, virtuous, pledged to be married to Joseph. How she fits into the gene- genealogy is that Joseph was from the line of King David. She had a miraculous virgin birth. Um, And then there's two things I want you to focus on from Mary. Um, I would love it for this to be our attitudes, that um, Mary's like, I don't know how this could be. I've never been with a man. How am I going to carry a woman, or carry a baby, excuse me? And the angel responds, nothing is impossible with God. And I think a lot of times we're not aware of that or we don't remember that really and truly anything is possible with God. And secondly, um, when she is told that you will carry the Son of God, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And so I challenge you guys, when you're praying and asking God what he would have for you, just to have that same kind of attitude. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And be willing to accept whatever he has for you. Okay? Um, What's that? Okay. So we're going to introduce the characters from our story now. So before we introduce them, I want to tell you about a little story. I was with my daughter, Milena. We were at Chipotle. Their guacamole is hands down some of the best guacamole I've ever had. And we're sitting at Chipotle, and she's about to be in a play. And she, the character that she's playing along with several other people, she's the youngest. So everybody that's playing this character is old enough to wear a bra. And so we start talking about bras and realize she's going to be the only person changing in her costume and be braless. And she's like, Mom, I don't need a bra, but I kind of wonder if I should get a bra. And I'm like, fair enough. And so we start talking about bras, which leads us to boobs, which I'm sorry, Brent. He's back there. Um, And so... Anyway, so we start talking about boobs, and she's like, you know, when do people get them? Why are some people's bigger? Why do some small people have big ones and big people have small ones? You know, she just had a whole host of questions about boobs. And so 
I then had this profound statement, and I, like, I can't even believe it. I said to her, um, let me find it, let me find it. Um, boobs are like people. They come in all different shapes and sizes. <laughs> and I was like, hold on, hold on. And I started typing it in my phone. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I got to tell the Bible study. And so, um, so here we are. Boobs really are like people. They come in all different shapes and sizes. And so here we have our cast of characters from the book of Ruth. So to start off with, <laughs> to start off with, we um, have, as I've kind of mentioned, we have Naomi and Elimelech, and they have two, son, two sons, Malon and Chilion. Some of your um, Bibles will have Chilion with a K, some will have a CH. Okay, so Elimelech and Naomi decide to leave Bethlehem because there's a famine. Why are they leaving Bethlehem? Yeah. Famine. So they go on over 30 to 60 mile route trip, 7 to 10 days on foot, and they go over to Moab. Okay, so Elimelech, who's the father and the husband of Naomi, his name means my God is king. And then we have Naomi, her name means pleasant. And then their two sons we have Malon, which means sick or weak, and Chilion, which means failing. All right. Bless their hearts. So, note to self, for those of you who are still having children, bust out the baby name book and maybe look at the meanings before you name your kids. Um, So those are their kids, and what ends up happening is they get to Moab, and almost immediately in our story, we find out that Elimelech dies. Okay? We then have Malon and Chilion. They marry two Moabite women. Okay? One is Ruth. And the other is Orpah. So Orpah means neck or fawn. And Ruth means friendship, companion, or vision of beauty. Um, Now, interestingly, just a little trivia tidbit, Orpah is what Oprah Winfrey was named, right? Many of you probably know that. And then her name was misspelled on her birth certificate, so that's why she's been known as Oprah ever since. Pay me later for that one. So, okay, then we have Boaz. So what happens is Orpah and Ruth marry these two guys, and um, Naomi's living for 10 years in Moab. Just, I don't know exactly how it happened, but tragically enough, Malon and Chilion die. Okay, so she's left, Naomi's left with no husband, no children, and she has her two daughter-in-laws. So they pack everything up because they hear that in Bethlehem, God has shown his favor to the people in Bethlehem. And so they decide to pack everything up because Naomi really doesn't have anything left in Moab and she knows she needs food. And back at that time of day in that culture, if you did not have a husband or a father or someone to provide for you, it was very difficult to to find food, to um, have what you needed. So she decides to return to her people And in so doing, they're all packing up to go. At this point, she urges Orpah and Ruth to go back to their families because she has nothing to offer them. So she does not ask them one time, but four times she says, go back to your people. And Orpah decides to go back to her people. But Ruth decides that she wants to stay with Naomi. So she clings to Naomi, and in just this beautiful picture of loyalty and love and kindness, she stays with Naomi, and they return to Bethlehem. While there, they enter when the barley harvest is just beginning, and Ruth decides to go work in the fields so that she can gather some food so that she can feed them. 
She just so happens to be in the field of Boaz, okay? So Boaz is in the line of Elimelech, and he is known as the kinsman redeemer. And I want you to just remember that Boaz is kind of a prototype or an example of who God is for us. He is our ultimate kinsman redeemer. And in this story, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. Um, so let's go to the next slide. Um, I'm going to read this to you because this is a beautiful picture of what Ruth did. It says in Ruth 1, 14 through 17, um, at this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Yeah, that's, it's powerful, like, just to have that kind, that sense of loyalty and that dedication and that fervor to be committed to somebody like that. So uh, that's just a beautiful passage that we see right off the bat when we're studying this book. And... Um, let me just see real quickly, sorry. Oh, one thing I want you to notice is that in the story, you've got um, Ruth clinging to Naomi, going back to Bethlehem, and just so happens to be in the field of Boaz, just how the whole story unwinds. I'm not going to tell you much more because I want you to read ahead if you want and find out what happens. But um, what you find is that God in his extravagant love for us and his desire to put us right where we need to be when we need to be there he places Ruth right where she needs to be and he does that for us as well it's just we need to have um, the ability to see that and to have open minds to where we are and why we're there and what God's trying to teach us and so um, I think the book of Ruth shows us that a lot um, okay So what I want to talk about next, let me see what the next slide is real quick. Okay. Before we go to the memory verse, I want to talk about a couple things to close our time together. Um, as we look at the names and meanings, will you go back one? Thanks. Thank you. Oops. It's okay. The one with the limelight. Sorry. The Elimelech one. Okay, there we go. Okay, so as you look at the names and meanings, what I want you to see is um, how, I want you to think about how does God see us and how do you see yourself? Because I found as I was studying this, I was thinking about so many of us have names and maybe you know the meaning of your name, maybe you don't. It's really not that important. What's most important is how God the Father sees you. And he sees you um, as somebody he absolutely loves and adores. He call, in the Bible, he calls us beloved. And I think for so many of us, we don't see ourselves that way. And um, I just want to encourage you that he looks on you with fondness and deep affection. And his mercy is great for you. And his, God pursues us relentlessly. So no matter how many times, like the Israelites who kept turning away from him and pursuing evil, he kept pursuing them. And he's the same way with each of us. And um, he tells us that as far as 
The east is from the west is how far he removes our transgressions or our sins from us. And so I think um, in addition to the way you see yourself, I was also thinking about um, as women, a lot of times we think about how others see us. And it may be a parent, it may be a spouse, it may be our child, it may be a neighbor or a coworker, and um, maybe the way they see you or maybe the names they call you are ones that are endearing and that you love. But maybe there's some that you're not a big fan of, the way they see you or what they call you. And um, I just wanted to encourage you with that as well, that um, we all tend to beat ourselves up, you know, and we all... Uh, I think as women especially, there's a lot of comparisons made and there's a lot of times where um, we just don't feel complete. And we, um, I think it's important for us to recognize we're all sinners, saved by grace, and that there is no amount of sin, nothing you've done in your past that's going to keep you from God. And just like those five women that we studied, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary, just like those five women, they were all ordinary women. And God used them to change history. And he can do that with us too, and he wants to do that. So I think a lot of times I can feel as a stay-at-home mom, and no matter what your line of work is, if you will, a lot of times we feel kind of insignificant or what kind of difference am I making? But the truth is that God has significant plans for each and every one of us here. There's a reason that you're on this planet, and he wants you to change the course of history, and so it's a matter of you clinging to him and just walking in his ways. But you can't do that if you don't know what his ways are, so that's why we need to uh, read the Bible and pray and spend time with one another so that we can find out what he has for each of us. Um, and I, lastly, I just wanted to say on the note of how others see us, or even if you're beating yourself up, that we serve a God who not only can but will give us victory <clears throat> in those wounded areas, in those areas that are steeped in sin, those areas that feel like we don't want to tell anybody else what's going on in there. Um, we all have them, and that God is there, and he can give us victory in those areas, and he will give us victory. And so um, it's only through God that we can be defined like Ruth was. And I, I, I thought about Ruth, and I thought about so many adjectives that described her, but I kept coming back to five that I'll probably mention throughout the course of our study of Ruth. And the five that kept coming to my mind were resolute. Like once she decided something, man, she did it. She was committed to Naomi and she did it. And I am so not like that. I am so indecisive. And so it was really challenging for me to hear that she was resolute. She was so loyal and self-forgetful. I just love her willingness to think of others and put Naomi first and as you'll see as the story goes, not just Naomi. Um, she was an uncomplaining sufferer. You know, I think about, ooh, that's a tough one. But she really, like, struggled quite a bit, and she, did, she was not a complainer as far as we can see. And she was surrendered to God's will, and that's my prayer for each of us here. I know God has extraordinary plans for each of you. I don't know what they are, but I pray that you would surrender to his will. And um, lastly, so if you'll go... I think you have to go a couple more to the one more. There you go. There's your memory verse. So if you want to turn to the front of that book again, the memory verse, you don't need to write that whole thing. You could just write Ruth 1.16. <clears throat> and then you can look that up this week. 
So Ruth 1.16, and we're not always going to have a verse from Ruth as our memory verse. It might be from a different book in the Bible, but about the topic that we're studying. So Ruth 1.16 is our memory verse. Um, just to throw out a couple examples. So for some of us, one thing I learned might be there are five women listed in the genealogy of Jesus, and their <laughs> names are Tamar. Exactly. Okay. So... <laughs> Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. That's right. And they're ordinary just like you and me, and they changed history, and so can we. Right? So we've got five women. You might have learned that they left Bethlehem because there was a famine. You might have learned that Naomi's husband was Elimelech, and they had two sons named Malon and Chilion, who had not-so-great meanings. Um, they married two Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. And Ruth's name means friendship, companion, vision of beauty. That's right. So those are just a few examples of things that you might have learned that you want to share with someone. You might have learned that Bethlehem means house of bread. Um, and then as far as the last thing, the application you have on that page um, I, I'm, I'm not looking for crazy wild. I mean, if you want to go big, that's great. But I'm looking for stuff even like there's a Naomi in my life, somebody who has gone through a lot of suffering. And I'm going to make my application this week that I'm going to reach out to that Naomi in my life and I'm going to give her a call or write her a card or send her a text or take her flowers or a meal. You know, so that might be... Your, your application. Another application might be some of you might not really believe that God loves you, that God has really forgiven you, that he really sees you as um, the daughter of the Most High King. If you don't believe that, then maybe your application is every day I'm going to thank God that he does see me as the daughter of the Most High King, and I'm going to read one verse from the Bible every day. Okay, so it doesn't have to be monumental. It's just some sort of application from what you've learned today. Um, and then one other thought on application is that maybe there's a quality, like maybe one of Ruth's qualities that you want to be more loyal in your life or you want to complain less. You know, so maybe you make it your application this week, I'm not going to complain. So I'm only going to complain three times a day or something, you know, <laughs> doable. So it could be anything. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and close this in prayer and then... Terry, I think, is going to come up for a few more announcements, and then we'll break up into our groups. So, Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you so much for this day. Thank you for every woman here that you hand-selected them to be here. Thank you for the book of Ruth. Thank you that she was resolute and loyal and uncomplaining and um, surrendered to you. And we praise you. For the women listed in the genealogy of Jesus, we thank you that they were just normal women, that some of which had marred backgrounds, just like many of us do, and yet they are sinners saved by grace. And we thank you that as they changed history, we can also do the same. Pray that you would um, give us the time this week to read our Bible, to do our homework, and um, I pray that we would really apply what we've learned and um, grow in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.